This is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where we take a look back at the pieces of pop culture we loved growing up and experience them again to see if they hold up today. We let our dear audience know if the movie, TV show, or album they cherished as a child is still worth celebrating, or if it's just a piece of trash that should be kept in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host, most likely to look fly as hell wearing my private school jacket inside out. I'm Seth Pearson, the host, noticing you noticing me and wanting to put you on notice that I notice you too. (laughs) And I'm Chris, your podcast host, whose life is most likely to get flipped, turn upside down. (laughs) (laughs) On today's episode, we're heading back to West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground where we spent most of our days chilling out, maxing and relaxing all cool and shooting some b-balls outside of the school. Actually, we're headed to the poshest place in Los Angeles as we discuss the NBC hit 90s sitcom, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, starring Will Smith before he became one of the biggest movie stars of all time. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was created by Andy Barowitz and Susan Barowitz, based on a format by Benny Medina and Jeff Pollack. Okay, and we have to pause there. Andy Barowitz, do you know who that is? I know that name. He's a, plot- political, He's a political writer. You know that name because you have a Facebook account <laughs> and or a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. So you see him retweeted everywhere. Yeah. He is a, like, New Yorker... Satirist. Right? Quote-unquote yeah. satirist. Yeah. He's very prolific. He is incredibly prolific and viral like right now in 2017 Mm -hmm. so that alone was such a shock to me to hear that he created this show but i would say like the i mean we'll get into obviously like the specifics of this but the fact that this show is so conscious of racial issues in the early 90s when these things were not being discussed especially in like really mainstream ways i think makes sense that he would now be someone that we're also looking to to you know have insight into politics the show ran on nbc six seasons from 1990 to 1996 it was a rating success and a smash hit at its peak in season three it earned 14.6 million viewers did you guys watch the fresh prince of bel-air growing up i'd love to hear your history with it so i am definitely a child who was raised by tv (laughs) um i would watch tv during like childcare after school i would watch it Yep, I would watch it at summer camp. I would watch it at home. Um, I watched a whole lot of different TV shows of all kinds growing up. Um, I watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air during its original broadcast run. Um, I basically remember following the show basically from when it started to when it ended. Um, I really enjoyed it the whole time. Like, I was certainly too young at the time to recognize the political implications of it, but I had a vague sense of the kind of issues that it was talking about. Was it appointment viewing for you? Like, would you sit down every week that it was on, like, airing in primetime? Definitely, but also it was not rare for me to do that. (laughs) There were a lot of appointments. It wasn't special. It was just part of the... So basically what you're saying is the TV was always on and you were always watching it. The dance card was full and I showed up ready. (laughs) Did you have like a highlighted TV guide that was like watching this at this time? No, and and that's really funny. Like I didn't discover what a TV guide was until later. Like, oh, I can choose? (laughs) No, but like I always had cable, so I had like channel guides and stuff. Like, Mm. and I didn't understand until later that they had a print version of that. 
Uh, but yeah, I no, I never used the TV guide. So when I was a kid, there were three kinds of shows on TV. There was appointment television that I specifically went out of my way to watch. There was stuff that was just on and you would watch it because it was on TV. And then there were things that you would actually avoid. The theme song to MASH still <laughs> creates a panic <laughs> within me. Yes. Please stop. <laughs> so it would come on after like Full House or some syndicated show mm-hmm. that I really liked. And as soon as we heard the opening, like two notes to that theme song, <laughs> we would scream and say, like, turn it off, like fly for the remote control. Try and change the channel as quickly as possible. What a universal feeling that <laughs> And to this day, I have never seen an episode of MASH oh my God. for that reason, even though it's considered one of like the yeah, landmark TV shows. I'm just like, I can't because I've been so conditioned. For some reason, that is what I thought of when, Because Fresh Prince, I know it was airing. Wait, so have you watched the show or not? Because you started talking Only about Only in match. syndication. Okay. <laughs> so it was one of those shows that was on in syndication that I would watch because it was on, but I never sought it out. I don't think I ever saw it on primetime, at least not that I'm aware of. And so if it was on TV, I would be kind of like, this is fine, but I never was excited that this was the show that was on. So I probably saw like 10 or 15 episodes of it all together. I always found it amusing enough, but um, it never occurred to me that the show had anything to do with race at the time, which is... The point of the show. Right, kind of. Um, what did you think it was about? I thought it was about family. Okay. Did you think it was more about class than yes, race? Yes, I did. I okay. did. So I think I mm. never was really drawn to this show. I was thinking about that, and I don't think it had anything necessarily to do with the race of it, but I didn't identify with either of the class situations because Will comes from the streets, and so he makes a lot of jokes about that experience. And then there's the Banks family, who's really rich, and the humor around them comes from a lot of, like, L.A.-centric humor that I find funny now, but at the time I just didn't really get either of these because I come from a very middle-class Everyone I knew was middle class. And race is not something that I was very aware of as a child. I didn't see very much racism. I thought race was something that had been solved by civil rights. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see evidence otherwise. So I didn't really pick up on the fact that this was actually a really interesting and novel show to show a black family being kind of like the 1%. Well, and let's be specific too, because like, as white people, we are taught by all of our all of our systems, our all of our political systems and our kind of educational system. We are taught from birth that white is to be white is to be the normal American, and that everything that isn't white is literally like non-white is is defined in a way that is different than any of our lives were defined from the start, even though we all had very different lives. Yeah, but I I feel like now we are confronted with a lot of realities that it was easier in the 90s to pretend that this had all been solved and that, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, saved everything and now everyone's equal and fine. Like, and I think that that was kind of the predominant thinking through at least my childhood. And now there's a lot more headlines about 
you know, cops shooting black people and racial injustice. Yes, that kind of stuff that where it's like now, again, we can't ignore the fact that there are still problems out there. So this was appointment viewing for me, this show. I love this show. Um, I also went to ballet school of Tatiana M. Ali. Oh. <laughs> she, she is from Belmore, New York. Wait, what? <laughs> she went to my sister's junior high and was in my sister's junior high class. And I was in her ballet school with her. Was she present when you met Jerry Seinfeld? <laughs> no, I just happened to be from... Okay, here are all the famous people I went to school with. Did, did Tatiana Ali <laughs> sign a plate for you? A paper plate? No, but I met her. She was in my ballet class. Um, she left to go film uh, The Fresh Wings of Bel Air, so... Wow, yeah. Becky, that was on point. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, want to celebrate you for that <laughs> pun, but also I hate you. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so that was a factor in my whole family watching the show, is that we knew somebody on it. She plays Ashley on the show. All I really remember about the show is I really liked it, and I thought it was super funny. I watched it every single week, all six seasons. Wow. I, I loved it. One of the reasons that I loved it so much is I thought Will Smith was incredibly charming. And so let's just talk about Will Smith a little bit because we can't really talk about the Fresh let's. Prince without talking about no, Will Smith. No, let's just not mention him. I don't, I don't see how I that's know. relevant here. Willard Carroll Smith Jr. <laughs> not as jiggy as <laughs> Not as Will Smith. <laughs> God. Slightly less jiggy. Willard Carroll Smith Jr. was born on September 25th, 1968 in Philadelphia. Born and raised? Uh, at least born. I what, what, was it West, <laughs> West Philadelphia? Now, was he born on a playground? Did he spend most of his days Wikipedia there? would not tell me these things. <laughs> okay. he, uh, he didn't want to go to college because he said he always knew he wanted a rap. And that's what he ended up doing. So when you put your mind to it, he teamed <laughs> and up And that with failed it. for so many other children. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Guys, please, listeners of Stay when we were young. Stay in school. Stay in school. Do not take this as career advice. It worked for him. It will probably not work for you. He teamed up with a DJ called DJ Jazzy Jeff, who you may know as Jazz on the show, and the pair won a Grammy in 1988. They actually released five albums from 1987 to 1993. So before The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air ever aired, he had five albums. Five? Yep. What songs were on them? Well, I feel like there are not that many <laughs> songs by those two that are The song iconic. Summertime was right. a big um, success. That's probably their most well-known song. And it's, you know, a breezy, nice R&B song about, you know, chilling summertime. in the summertime, you know, <laughs> chilling um, out, probably their most, cool. probably their most popular song is Parents Just Don't Understand. I made you two watch the video. That is the right way to say that. <laughs> Becky. She clockwork orange <laughs> With eyes pride open. If you have not seen the video for Parents Just Didn't Understand, you have to go Google that right now. It is pretty much just the exact opening credits to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But also with like a 12-year-old prostitute. <laughs> the song is like half about his parents being mean to him and half about him taking a woman through the drive-thru. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like the, It's very relatable in the beginning. It's like... 
Oh, like my mom <laughs> takes me shopping and makes me wear embarrassing clothes. And then when I steal a Porsche and go out and pick up a child <laughs> prostitute and get arrested, they just don't understand. Wait, wait. So I, I'm sorry. I have to be up front and say that all of these music videos blended together for me. <laughs> there was another one. This is one. the one with the child prostitute. Wait, There's... is this the one with the rape accusation? Oh, that one is, is that called Girls one? Ain't Nothing But Trouble or something like Girls that? Girls Ain't Nothing. Okay. I took her over town, a wider and dider. She asked me, did I like her? I said, well, kinda. All of a sudden, she jumped out of seat, snatched me up by my wrist and took me out in the street. She started grabbing all over me, kissing and hugging, so I shoved her away. I said, you better stop bugging. She got mad, looked me dead in my face, threw her hands in the air and yelled out, I got scared when she started to yell, so I handed her my wallet and ran like hell. Both videos are very similar. They both look just like the opening credits to Fresh Prince with like the graffiti background and they're very stylistically like funny. Like they're they're like junior high plays. But they're also <laughs> very stylistically the same as rap songs. Will Smith at least at this point in his career has a very old school rap sound yeah. that is like my name's Will Smith and oh, I'm here to I w- say I was I'm gonna, gonna do a rap in a usual way. I was gonna say I don't think he's a good rapper. <laughs> he's not a good rapper. That he's, is accurate. He is but he is charming and super funny and handsome and he's got a lot of personality but like he's not a good rapper there's no point where i'm like whoa check out that like amazing like his raps are (laughs) catchy which is catchy in a way that i think rap is often not like the fresh prince theme song you can remember almost every line of it oh it's like in your head i I wouldn't necessarily say anything (laughs) in that song is a great rap oh see i okay so this is where i differentiate earworms from good songs. It doesn't have to be a good song to get fucking stuck in your head. Not at all. Oh, no, yeah. ever leave. I don't think any of us are (laughs) arguing that. Yeah. But I would say that I can totally see why Will Smith became very popular, even though I don't think he's an impressive rapper. It's because he always raps kind of G-rated, except mm-hmm. for, like, the rape ac- oh. accusations. Even that, well, it's um, a G-rated it's rape It's a G-rated, accus- yeah. Is, but he, it is the most G-rated <laughs> rape accusation <laughs> that has ever been made. It's a family-friendly rape accusation. Honestly. No parents like, needed. It's an ABC family <laughs> rape hilarious. accusation. He raps about inoffensive things. And this is not just his early... Besides that. Child rape. Not just his early career, but his later career is all about G-rated raps with hooks and being inoffensive and appealing to the widest... um, Widest. (laughs) I mean, widest Widest and widest amount of of people. Um, His songs are simple enough that any person could memorize it and sing along. That's why they're popular. I also wanted to note that those early raps, the ones that we watched the video for, felt very much like sitcoms. Like, they're they very did. situational they and have all these, or like, like kind of crazy twists. Yeah, yeah they did like, feel like they, sketches. They felt like episodes yeah. of the show. Like, yeah. like, I could see that Will Smith today, if he was coming up today, like, being a YouTube star. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, it feels like a web show. It feels like his, a couple episodes of his web mm-hmm. show that he pitched yeah. and turned into a sitcom. Yeah. So he was pretty successful as a recording artist. That said, due to him underpaying his income tax, the IRS assessed a $2.8 million debt against him. And Smith was nearly bankrupt when NBC approached him in 1990 to star in a sitcom loosely based on himself. I wish that happened every time I had money troubles. <laughs> I I read this before we sat down to record and it just it completely blew my mind. Like it's it's so Which part? Ins- 
just the the fact that a career that took off like such a rocket and became Will Smith, who was one of the most iconic celebrities ever, ever learning that was so strange and out of left field for me. Well, I think we take him as such a success now because we're just so used to him being the biggest star that it's hard to imagine him having. We're talking about a period of struggle in which he still made millions of dollars, but just didn't pay taxes and had but, like, that was still a struggle. It's, like, unimaginable that Will Smith would do anything. Like, we kind of see him, I feel, as a perfect right. human being right. right now. Hey, Uncle Phil! Oh. <laughs> How you doing? <clears throat> I am not your Uncle Philip. Oh, uh, my fault, man. I must have got the wrong crib. But, hey, yo, I ain't know with so many brothers living in this neighborhood. <laughs> we doing all right, huh? That was really curious why the credit in the show said format by it's Medina and who else? Jeff Pollock. Yeah, Jeff Pollock. And it's like one of them in his own life story, uh, he had lived with a, I believe it was a rich white family and he was an African-American man. Mm-hmm. So it was a slightly different situation, but that that was the reason why it's called Format, is like that's the kind of original seed of the inspiration, and he was the person kind of co-producing the show. So he kind of used it as a vehicle to launch Will Smith, but it was informed by his own life story. Quincy Jones was an executive producer of the show, so I think the Bel Airness of it came from him because he raised his family in Bel Air, and he said that his daughter once called from camp and left the message, Dad, the water here sucks. Please FedEx Evian. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, That sounds was, like a line from the show. <laughs> yeah, so there was probably some, like, like maybe this show existed, yeah. and then they were like, oh, maybe Will Smith can be in this. And then when Quincy Jones and the Borowitzes came on, they were like, oh, we think that this should be a black family, not a white family. So yeah, I think there were probably several iterations of this idea that mm-hmm. went through those stages. So we talked about Will Smith a little bit. Let's talk about the rest of the cast. Janet Hubert, she was the original Aunt Viv. The Uh, only Aunt Viv. (laughs) I want to get into the controversy of (laughs) her recasting a little bit later. So she was in the original production of Cats. Wow. I'm looking right at Seth. (gasps) Oh my God. (laughs) As Tantomile. Is that the right cat name? (laughs) Seth loves cats. Or was it Fluffy? No, I I know so many of the cats. Are you unfamiliar with this cat? Tantomile? I don't remember that one. Oh, well, she was in the cast. That's why during that Aunt Viv dance scene, she's so good, because she was on Broadway. She got that cat's training. (laughs) She was a cat. After she was recast, after season three, she appeared in soaps like All My Children and One Life to Live, along with some other sitcoms like guest appearances on Friends and Gilmore Girls on The Bernie Mac Show. But that's pretty much it. James Avery played Uncle Phil. He worked consistently since Fresh Prince. He did a ton of TV his whole life and some films. He did a ton of voiceover work. I think he was the voice of Shredder in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, cartoon. Um, He died in 2013 from complications from open heart surgery. I'm not going to punish you, Will. You know, that's radical, Uncle Phil, but it just might work. (laughs) I'm not going to punish you today. Maybe not even tomorrow. You see, I need to think a long, long time about just what I'm going to do with you. In the meantime, why don't you worry about it? (laughs) Be afraid, Will. Be very afraid. 
Alfonso Ribeiro was Carlton Banks. Before Fresh Prince, he had a longtime recurring role on the TV sitcom Silver Spoons when he was younger. He was also known as like the tap dancing kid. Because <laughs> he was this like amazing tap dancer as a little kid. Since the show, he's done a lot of hosting America's Funniest Home Videos, Dance 360. He won Dancing of the Stars. And if you guys have not seen Carlton dancing on Dancing of the Stars, I highly, highly I suggest. Have certainly <laughs> never seen Dancing with the Stars. Guys, the Carlton dance is is my favorite thing in the world that I think if I'm ever sad ever again, I will just Google Carlton dance. Did you see where he got the inspiration? No. Courtney Cox. What do you mean? Courtney Cox in the Bruce Springsteen video, Dancing in the Dark. (laughs) Oh my God. Really? I like how Courtney Cox is like sneaking her way into every episode of this podcast. Seriously. Karen Parsons played Hillary Banks. She hasn't done too much since or before. She co-starred in the movie Major Pain with Damon Wayans. Oh, well, yeah. that was a big one. Yeah, not not too much from Karen Parsons. It was no McHale's Navy, Chris. <laughs> what was? What was? So Tatiana M. Ali played Ashley Banks. She went to ballet school with me before she was on Fresh Break. <laughs> that's her real claim to fame. <laughs> Honestly, that's a real accomplishment. I believe it was called the George Burke School of Dance. George Burns? She was on Star Search and Sesame Street before being cast on Fresh Prince, so she didn't just go to ballet school with me. <laughs> she was <laughs> also in Fences on Broadway. That was her first Oh, role. really? Yes. After the series wrapped up, she released her debut album, Kiss the Sky, in 1999, and it was certified gold. Kiss so, the Sky? Yep. Or Kiss This Guy? Kiss the Sky. Oh, okay. Kiss the Sky in the Sky. <laughs> Fair enough. She also acted on The Young and the Restless. She was in a relationship with Jonathan Brandis for six years up until his suicide. Downer. So, yeah. I felt like I had to mention it, though. R.I.P. Ladybugs. She went to Harvard, and in July of 2016, she sued Warner Brothers, claiming that the company used her idea for the show The Real after she pitched the concept in December 2012. Oh. Yeah. I worked for that show. What is the concept (laughs) of the show? Um, it's just there's no white ladies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a daytime talk show uh, with African-American a- and Asian So it's uh, The View with no white people. And Hispanic women, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, Joseph Marcel played Jeffrey. He was the butler for the Banks family. Jeffrey. He was a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company before being cast on Fresh Prince. I don't have a lot more information, but I kind of could. I, that doesn't come up as a surprise to me that he was a Shakespearean actor. Right, I think it was because Will Smith was such an inexperienced actor, he'd never really acted before at all, that they wanted to surround him with actors who were super serious actors. So they got, you know, Shakespeare, Broadway, they had a lot, it's a pretty formidable cast. I can't believe that Will Smith had very minimal acting experience before this show. I can. I can. Wow. I can. All right, well, let's <laughs> let's start talking about just the overall thoughts for the whole show. What did you think watching it now? And we'll go, you know, into more in-depth episodes, but just overall, what did you think watching it now? I mean, so the closest thing to a general thought that I can give about this show is one good ensemble cast. Like, for the most part, I think they really nailed the casting of this show in a way that did support it having as many seasons as it had. And second, it's a show about an actor becoming an actor. Um, Like, Will Smith uh, starts this show, even from the pilot, with so much fucking energy and charisma and very little craft as far as acting is concerned. 
but over the course of the seasons of the show. And also, I want to give you kudos for picking the episodes, because it really shows the trajectory of him as an actor. But he really does kind of eventually match that charisma and built-in innate thing he has about him. Will Smithiness. Uh, yeah, that Will Smithness with acting chops. Yeah. And also, like, there are subjects that this show tackles and tackled at the time that it was made that were really complex, not just in terms of talking about racial politics, but class politics too. And I think The Fresh Prince and not just Andy Borowitz, but like all the, the people who wrote on that show were very audacious in picking subject matter for these episodes that even though the show was a very typical sitcom in its structure and in the jokes that it would tend to go for, it was very non-traditional and it's very special in the way that it uses the identity of its characters to investigate and uncover social issues and conflicts in society that really never get addressed in comedy. Yeah, I had very little real memory going into this show. I remembered Uncle Phil being stern, Hillary being kind of an airhead. I barely remembered Aunt Viv, and I really didn't remember any specific plot points from this show beyond the opening title theme song that I probably <laughs> could have sang at any point, even mm-hmm. though I barely watched this show, just because it's so well-known. And, of course, like, you, you know, like, Carlton is the goofy cousin he's kind of like the screech of the show but i was going back to it expecting it to be kind of a full house saved by the bell ish kind of 90s more childish kind of yeah i guess so or even family matters ish yeah like like just kind of a bit more broad Mm -hmm. right Because I really, I don't think I saw any of the episodes that we watched, specifically the ones that dealt with race issues really head on. None of them rang familiar to me. So I, in my mind, I think I had kind of whitewashed the show as a little bit. I think it has a reputation as being somewhat whitewashed now for maybe even people who haven't seen a lot of it. But um, I was very surprised that it took racial issues into as much... Like, not just dealing with them in the episodes, but also ending episodes on these kind of, like, gut punch moments mm-hmm. that were that are just not typical sitcom moments at all. And I'm sure we'll talk specifically about those moments, but I was kind and, of flabbergasted And that's, that. and that's not just in a political sense, but it's also in a, in a screenwriting sense, in, like, yes. a TV production sense. It made some storytelling decisions that were very atypical and are very outside of the kind of box of sitcom writing. Yeah, it has almost, I mean, I think it's because it's dealing with these really heavy issues, but it is not necessarily because these are racial themes that they're dealing with, but it's just like, you don't see a sitcom end on a like heavy dramatic note. And that's it. Ever. Like, yeah, I, so as far as my experience, I was so excited to watch this show again and I loved rewatching it. And I was surprised how much I remembered. I remembered quotes, I remembered scenes, or as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh yeah, of course that, um, so much. And I loved it so much. And I honestly would like go home tonight and watch more. (laughs) (laughs) I think I watched about 15 episodes for this podcast and like a ton of clips on YouTube, but I was just so happy to watch it again. I think it holds up so well. Um, it's definitely a 90s sitcom, but 
it has universal themes outside of the clothes they wear and the <laughs> slang. It's still like things- Hey, I relate completely to the clothes they wear. <laughs> Uh, Chris is wearing a bright neon green jumpsuit. (laughs) And I am wearing a paisley skirt. (laughs) With a vest? (laughs) With a paisley vest. (laughs) And also a paisley cap. (laughs) Um, I love that it's a a fish-out-of-water story, which is really how I remembered it. I didn't really remember how much it dealt with race, and it does a lot. Um, it's, It's mostly a story about race and what it means to be black in America. Yeah, And I think that so much of it is still relevant today. And I was so relieved watching this series that at least the episodes that I watched, none of the jokes or the content was cringeworthy because I honestly expected there to be like gay panic jokes and like misogynistic moments and, you know, cringy race jokes at the expense of somebody. And at least in the episodes I watched, I didn't see any of that. I got a few of those. Did you? Yeah. Um, I, I remember there was an episode that... For some reason, somebody locked themselves in a closet and Carlton was trying to get them out. And he says to a passerby, like, this guy's stuck in the closet. And the passerby comes over and knocks and says, you be you, like, you be proud. And they walk away. And I was just like, I was so relieved. I was just like, oh, my God, in like 1990 or 1992, like, the show was saying it's okay to be gay. It was kind of a gay joke, but kind of not. Like, it wasn't at the expense of a gay person or gay people. So let's talk about the pilot. First of all, the theme song is longer. It is okay. so much. It okay. is half of the episode. I, I wrote, yeah, I wrote that literally, like, it feels an hour long. <laughs> Just because we know the shorter one so well that the longer one feels so much longer. It feels so long. He's, like, on the plane. He's <laughs> chilling out at the airport. Like... It is also, crazy. that did not feel like it was languid and just very slow and deliberate. It did not feel slow. Like, it gave me a lot of appreciation for the version of the theme song that happens after. Because it made me realize, like, that later version of the theme song is, what, like, a minute 20 or 30 max? So very long. <laughs> that theme song has so much fucking exposition in it. But I love it. It tells, I know, no, like, that's the thing, I love it. But it crams so much story into a theme song. It's not like any other theme song would be now. But that the pilot one ruined it for me because now every time <laughs> she goes, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. And then he's like, I got a cab. And I'm like, you didn't object to that? There was no reaction? Like you just, all of a sudden you're in Bel Air. Like that's His it. His mama made him go. I need more. <laughs> Although, to be fair, like, the actual theme song was more just about being in, like, first class and, like, you know, it wasn't, like... There wasn't more... There uh, wasn't more complex. (laughs) There were at least 32 more verses. (laughs) So I thought that the pilot was actually a pretty funny pilot, and I thought the characters were pretty well-defined right from the start. And even if Will Smith... Even if you don't think Will Smith was that good of an actor in the beginning, I thought that he was still as charismatic as hell right from the start. Like, he just had all this energy... From oh, the yeah. moment the show starts. No, that was, like, the first thing I wrote down. Was, like, just, like, Will Smith is such a ball of energy. Um, and I definitely don't think he had, like, the the chops down or the experience of the other, like, the other parts of the ensemble. But again, I, I think I agree with you that the pilot is really strong and the ensemble is pretty much there from the start. 
Will Smith would agree with you. He was embarrassed by his early performances in the show hmm. because he memorized every script. And apparently, I didn't see this, but he sometimes mouths other people's lines. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> also, they definitely spent all of their money for this episode on the opening credits because they never leave the house in this first episode. That doesn't bother me because the house is like new to him. And it's a mansion, so there's lots of rooms. It's a mansion where it's so cheaply made that you can see the walls shaking (laughs) as they, like, shut the doors. But, you know, it's a pilot. It's fine. I did not love the pilot. It was the first episode I watched for the podcast, and I was a little bit like, ooh, what did we get into? Because it felt very generic to me. I did appreciate that there was a slavery joke (laughs) three minutes in just because they called attention to that Mm, immediately, which I think think they needed to do. When they introduce Jeffrey, there's a real moment of discomfort and kind of anxiety as to whether or not they're going to address the fact that this black family has a black butler who lives Mm. with them. Um, And that was a real moment of discomfort and like genuine discomfort in the show to its credit, I think for, especially for a pilot just runs straight on into Right in there. Because it's it's an elephant in the room if you don't Mm. mention it. Yeah. I loved, um, there's a great dialogue at the end of the pilot between Will and Uncle Phil. That is a really. Will has a poster of Malcolm X up on the wall and it's them talking about, you know, you don't know where I'm coming from. And uh, you think that I don't know where you're coming from. And I thought that was wonderful. And it ends with um, Will playing for Elise on the piano and Uncle Phil looking surprised. Like, mm-hmm. like, wow, maybe I don't know everything there is to know about my nephew. And he talks about actually being there for like a Malcolm X speech. And Will seems kind of surprised by his uncle that his uncle, you know, ha- has some similarities with him when he was younger. Yeah, that was a Quincy Jones note um, that he wanted duality to the characters where Phil could be excited about living with the Reagans and that kind of affluence, but also that he had this past of being, you know, passionate about seeing Malcolm X perform. And I did really appreciate that last scene in this pilot more than I appreciated the rest of the pilot because it really did say this is not the average sitcom. We're not just doing laughs here. Like there was real text texture to that. And it was texture in both a racial and a class context, yeah. which, again, I think was pretty audacious for a pilot. I'm not sure how many shows did this before The Fresh Prince, but there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. A lot. Which reminded me, lot. like, we were just talking about Jim, <laughs> Jim Carrey, Carrey in the, a recent episode. And I guess that was just, like, the 90s were like, we don't, we don't really need this wall here. Like, <laughs> let's just talk directly to the audience. And there are a lot of really meta moments of comedy um, that are about, like, the show itself. Like, there's an, a line in a later episode where Will is talking about someone that he grew up with and he's like oh he's the guy that throws me over his head in the opening credits (laughs) there's another line in another episode where they talk about how rich they are and will says if we're so rich why don't we have a ceiling and the camera pans up to the lights (laughs) in the studio that's pretty great yeah i didn't see so funny what i really loved about this show and in the in the pilot it's present as well is that it has great visual personality it's not just a three camera sitcom it's not very it's not always so flat I mean, it has a lot of, you know, there's playful cinematography. Like, for example, in the pilot, you know, Will imagines imagines himself to be wearing the same outfit Carlton is wearing. He he sees himself in the mirror. And just throughout the series, there's like moments where jazz gets thrown out of the house. 
um, which is kind of like a callback every episode. It looks yeah. the same. Or you see a thought bubble in one episode of Will imagining Jazz's sister, and it's just <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff dressed in a wig. Yeah. And, but it's like a literal thought bubble that you would see in a cartoon. This has a lot of cartoony kind of elements mm-hmm. to it. But I, I really liked that. It made it seem unique and, and entertaining and like playful. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how it kind of juxtaposes that playfulness with the kind of more grounded nature of the things that it's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like it, again, it's like it's as mainstream a sitcom as it became. Um I think it's pretty atypical of what almost any other sitcom would be like, not just in this time but at really any point in history i think similar to the way that like a league of their own stands on its own as a film about it's women in a and sports of its, own. <laughs> it's the fresh prince is in a league of his own yeah i mean specifically other sitcoms i mean you can't not look at this show in terms of the cosby show and that was a show that i mean was extremely influential at the time but also has gotten criticism for kind of showing racism as a problem that had been solved. Kind of like the view I described that I had had when I was younger, that it just, I didn't see these problems. And I appreciate a show that decided to actually tackle them head on. And there are a lot of jokes in The Fresh Prince about The Cosby Show. So it really does kind of seem like almost a satire of The Cosby Show at times. Did you guys watch The Cosby Show? I know I did as a kid. I have not seen it since then. I pretty much didn't like maybe i caught an episode here or there do they act as though race is not an issue in that show okay so here's the thing and here's i i think this is what differentiates the cosby show from the fresh prince specifically the kind of cosby idea of politics was a very right-wing reactionary one which is that it's about the individual it's about whether the black individual wants to lift themselves up by their own bootstraps and, you know, individually surpass whatever oppression is put in their way. Whereas the kind of Fresh Prince idea is that there are systems of oppression. And again, it's like, it's impressive that a show like this that is as relatively accessible as Fresh Prince is still takes a relatively for what it is nuanced vision of things where there are systems of oppression and people can try to fight against them and you know black people can try to resist these systems of oppression that are put on them but even if they are super rich they're still black and that's kind of the story of the Banks family. The next episode on the list Mistaken Identity is at its heart a story both about race, again, and class. Carlton is driving the family car and gets pulled over by a white cop, played by Hank Azaria. And Will has to be the voice of reason and the voice of experience in this situation. And he uses, he talks about his experience from, you know, his life. On the b-ball courts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) West Philadelphia, (laughs) born and raised. He tries to talk sense to Carlton, but Carlton is so insulated from from the experience of being normally and routinely harassed and profiled by cops. So again, it was such an interesting episode to watch. And so honestly, it was kind of anxiety inducing because we are much more conscious collectively about these situations now. But at the time, I think 
Yeah, I feel like the issue of police and how they treat African-Americans specifically has been something that's much more on our minds in the last few years than it was. I mean, there was obviously like Rodney King. That was a huge thing in it, the 90s. It has been in the last few years. It's but been it's enormous. definitely at least resurged. And so the fact that a sitcom from this era would take that on so directly. What's so interesting about it is, I mean, I have to like play the network executive for a moment because I feel like the obvious note for the show that would be terrible is, wouldn't it be more interesting if it was a white family? And wouldn't there be more contrast if you have this kid from Philadelphia coming into a white family, a rich white family. And that would be, in a lot of ways, the same show, but a lot more like The Blind Side or something. And it's so much more interesting that you have Black characters voicing things that a lot of white people would say about, like, a cop pulling over a Black guy, where it's Carlton who's making the argument, oh, like, he's just pulling me over, like, it has nothing to do with my race. He's doing his job. He's looking for a criminal. It's a mark of a show having characters that occupy different spaces in society having to deal with each other. Even when they share blackness, there are things about their lives that they don't share, and things about their lives that define the way that they see the world that other black characters in the show don't have. Absolutely. It's a really nuanced way of telling that story, and it's it's a very complex story to tell. That was one of the kind of mission statements of the Borowitzes when they made this show, was that they wanted to tell a story about how you can be Black in different ways. Like, you can be a rich Black person, you can be a Black person from the streets of Philadelphia. Like, there are all these different ways to be Black, and there is no one right way. Whereas, I think the Cosby show was trying more to be showing a certain depiction and like, oh, this is possible for Black people without really dealing with a lot of the racial and issues within. And also preaching a specific way of being Black. Yeah. And saying that that's the only way. I would want to watch the show again before I. Oh no! Make it any... was it was very it was very suffused with Cosby's own horseshit hypocritical <laughs> moralizing. This episode is really heavy, but it's also really funny, and yeah. I just want to point out the singing jailmate that Carlton <laughs> um, and Will have to share. He just sings like opera. Yes. <laughs> um, and also just just God, Alfonso Ribeiro's performance as Carlton like cracks me the fuck up. Okay, and honestly, him saying him saying Dad from the jail cell. Like I'm just like I literally was laughing in stitches watching these episodes. I was I was really impressed. I think Alfonso Ribeiro was like a standout for me rewatching these episodes. I think I took him for granted when I was a kid, <laughs> just because Will Smith is so dazzling mm-hmm. and so... I think Alfonso Ribeiro is the one that you never see him acting of this entire cast. Like, he is 100% committed to the role. Like, it's an embarrassing role. He has to do so many embarrassing <laughs> it things. It is so embarrassing. And he never, like, winks at the camera. No, he he never, like, tries to make any indication that he's, like, actually not this character. Like, he is Carlton 100% through and through like every single episode yeah it's like jane krakowski and 30 rock just like <laughs> shamelessly self-lacerating <laughs> he's so committed yeah he's so great and i also wanted to highlight the ending of this episode um that's just very powerful carlton blames himself to the very end of the episode for having been pulled over um and he asks his dad he kind of lays out the situation of what happened from his perspective and asks Uncle Phil, uh, wouldn't you have pulled me over? And Uncle Phil says he asked himself that question the first time he got pulled over. 
And it was such a powerful, just like really resonant line. It it totally took me like by surprise and was just really emotional. I like that it ends with Carlton's kind of figuring out life and reality. Well, and not only figuring it out, but also figuring out this is the way that kind of individually rebuts the kind of Cosby narrative of how you get over racism and how you get past it. Cause it isn't just about your individual strength. It's also about learning what you face for being black, whether you're rich or poor. Right. You can achieve what the banks have achieved, but that doesn't mean you're not going to occasionally find a racist cop or something like that. And it's really powerful that Carlton as a character has to face that experience, especially this early on in the show. It was a really powerful episode, like of a sitcom. Yeah, that, that I was really... se- that was episode six of season one. And it's just <laughs> it's like those that ending just is like usually like you might have that moment, and then there'd be like Phil, Uncle Phil would be like, "Oh, I understand." There'd be like an "aw" moment, and they would end on that at least, so it's upbeat. But this ends on like his line. I forget like, exactly. I would have pulled me over, right. you know, like trying to still, trying to still debate it in his head. Like, no, no, this can't be how reality no, is. No, not just debate it. He's trying to blame himself. He's trying to identify hi- himself as the reason why this happened. Because the alternate is too horrifying. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, again, I I think this show is really unique in how it's talking about really systemic social problems, both on the like system level and on the individual level. Like it's, it's pretty nuanced for any kind of TV show, much less a fucking sitcom. So the next episode that I had everybody watch was called Deaf Poet Society. It was episode seven. I kind of wanted to throw one in that didn't have a special <laughs> serious ending. Yeah. One that was a little bit more goofy. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jazz is in this episode, and I love Jazz. I love every single time he gets thrown out of the house. Wearing the same shirt. <laughs> no, wearing a different shirt. They re- they refilmed it every single time. No, they didn't. What? It's, he's always in a different. He's always in the same shirt. No, I thought he was in a different shirt. No, he's always in the I same could, shirt. I was looking for it too. No, every time that they, I literally watched okay. things that said this. Okay. They had him wear the same shirt in every scene that he was going to be thrown out because they didn't want to refilm it. Okay. Wow. Okay, so I will grant you, Becky, that the shot of him getting thrown out of the house is hilarious, but also Jazzy Jeff cannot act. But he, but they know that, and his delivery is so deadpan that I love it. Man, I'm starving. When do we eat here? We eat here later. You eat here never. <laughs> it's like you eat here often. I love every time Jazz is in a scene. He is also like a big fourth wall breaker. Like when they replace Aunt Viv, he's the one that like, because I was just waiting for it. I knew that this show, because they break (laughs) Uh the fourth wall so often, was going to say something. And he says like, oh, there's something different about you, basically. (laughs) And no one else has said anything. And I was was just like, oh, finally someone said it, because that is not Aunt Viv. And this one in this episode, the, the whole episode is kind of about poetry. 
And it kind of ends with them reading poetry to each other, like the whole family. And then Will Smith looks at the camera and says, for more poetry, go to, ah, just kidding, good night. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was like a fake public service announcement. Yeah, it was great. I, just, I thought that was really funny. I love all the fourth wall breaking. Um, and I also thought it was interesting. Um, Aunt Viv reads a poem by a radical black activist poet. I think their name is Amiri Baraka. But either way, it was like her choice in poetry was really interesting and like a very obviously intentional thing, but not a reference that many people would get. I watched one episode that wasn't on our list, but um, called The Ethnic Tip, which I think is from season one, possibly season two, but I think season one, where Will and Carlton, well, Will specifically complains about his history class, that they're only learning about white guys and that he's not that interested in history and so Aunt Viv actually takes over the class and starts teaching them black history because she's a professor and it was a really strong moment for her character like she sang like um, old like slavery songs to them and and like really inspired all of the students with this black history and it was just like this really I don't know cool cool episode for I, I didn't remember Aunt Viv very well but I was surprised at how much even like this sitcom wife which is often such a nothing role like she actually got to be like a professor and someone who actually had really powerful and intelligent things to say i love the episode and i don't remember what season but it is when she decides to go back to dance and she (laughs) auditions for something a play i'm not really sure what it is um and these younger women are like kind of being like oh you're so old you can't do this they're being all snotty and she fucking kicks its ass (laughs) this dance is amazing (laughs) um and she does this little snap to them and then she like closes the door and she's so proud of herself and she just like falls down dead like tired i love i love that that is honestly one of the top five moments from the show that i remember um and I loved that actress. And I guess this is a good moment to we like. We might as well. We might as well. She got recast, and it's kind of a big controversy. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what my sister just said? <laughs> you are not going to believe this. She said that our kids are spoiled. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> you mean you agree with her? Well, Vivian, I'm the one who says they should be doing more work around the house. You're the one who's too easy on them. Oh, really? Does this sound familiar? Daddy, I need $300. I just want to say, original Aunt Viv, for me, is MVP of the first few seasons. Like, I love her. And I had not remembered her at all, and I'm so surprised. I think she is fantastic. Um, I love how her point of view is always present and always predominant in the Banks household. There is nothing that Phil will win out on (laughs) uh, when put against what Aunt Viv wants. (laughs) So allegedly, Janet Hubert was fired because she became pregnant. Um, But that doesn't really add up because they worked the baby plotline into the show and then they had like another Banks child, Nikki. Um, which is a very sitcommy thing to do, like have a, a new baby. It was such a fucking um, sitcommy thing. But actually, it goes a little. I think that's kind of a surface level thing because there's a lot of. He memes. said. She said. He said. She said. They said. She said. Um, so everybody but Janet Hubert said. Right. She said. <laughs> so Will Smith told an Atlanta radio station in 1993. 
I can say straight up that Janet Hubert wanted the show to be the Aunt Viv of Bel Air show. She once said, I've been in the business for 10 years and the snotty-nosed punk comes along and gets a show. No matter what, to her, I'm just the Antichrist. And Alfonso Ribera, in a later interview, kind of confirmed that she was not a, 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 pol- a nice presence on set. He said, there were days when all, we were all on set and she would literally go off on people and they got to a point by the time the second season came around and we're all like, this is un- unacceptable. We felt like we were doing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that we were a family. She, at that point, ruined that and she made it very difficult for us to work and unfortunately, she was then fired. They brought oh in Daphne Maxwell-Reed, who we absolutely loved, and we moved on. I mean, and she's has her own accounts. She said that, you know, she had problems with Will Smith telling, like, Yo mama so black jokes to the audience before tapings that she felt like Will had to apologize for the way that he and Carl uh, uh, Alfonso Ribeiro treated her on set. And she's just held this grudge for so long. She calls Will Smith an egomaniac that has to grow up. And it's just such a mess. <laughs> it is. It sounds like a whole thing. And I, yeah. and I, it makes, it bothers me because no offense to like the second actress who took that role on, but like she's so bland. I'm sure she's a she nice is... person. Yeah, oh, a nice person. I look at her. I'm like, you are not Aunt Viv. Why are you Honestly, pretending to be Aunt okay. Viv? So bland. So like uh, again, like this is all hindsight, and we don't know the exact circumstances that led to her dismissal from the show. But I mean, it's clear that like the actress who replaced Anne Viv was a step down. Oh, well, it's not yeah. just that; it's that she's playing a very different character. She's it's a not very different character. She looks she's 100% a hundred percent different. Yeah, she is like just being very and upfront she's a about different it. Different personality. Yeah, like, it's a just completely being upfront about it. She is much more light skinned. Oh yeah, she is very light skinned. Yeah, Janet Hubert was very dark skinned, and I honestly really liked that on TV. You didn't really see she, very yeah, dark skinned women. She was known women. for being kind of a pioneer in that way. I've worked on shows, and I know that having a toxic environment is very bad. Um, so who knows? Maybe she was this raging bitch, and she had to be replaced. But it's unfortunate because she was such a great talent, and I loved her on that show. And I thought she was a really good compliment in that cast. She did, like, a weird YouTube video or something. Yeah. Did you see that, like, yeah. a year or two ago? Yeah. yeah. She, she seemed a little possibly unhinged. Let's right. just say that. It's too bad that the person they, you know, again, no offense to Daphne Maxwell-Reed, but, like... Lovely person. Lovely person, but, like, <laughs> Anvid had... personality. Anvid had nothing but to not. do after she got recast. I mean, I honestly would have preferred it if they had somehow said, oh, Aunt Viv... Like divorced, divorced him, yeah. and here's his new wife. Aunt Viv went to live on a farm somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the next episode we're going to discuss is 72 Hours. It's season one, episode 23. It's about uh, Will betting Carlton that he couldn't spend three days in Compton. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Why are you talking like that? Yo, how you playing me, Prince? <laughs> what? Are you dissing me? Go, man, stop it! <laughs> Hey, Prince, lay off of him, man. We like C-No. C-No? So this is one of the episodes I did not appreciate very much. Oh, why? Because the show deals so well with race at times, and then I felt like this one is one where it really felt cartoonish. The way that it depicted, I guess, the thuggish guys from Compton, and the way that Carlton was all of a sudden a badass just felt out of character and I know it's a sitcom and there's all kinds of outlandish things on the show but it just I think the worst 
thing you can criticize this show for is kind of dressing up black issues in a way that's really palatable for white audiences. And I think there are a lot of episodes that don't do that. And actually, like we just talked about mistaken identity, deliver it really powerfully. And this is one that felt more like, ha ha ha, like rap is so crazy. Like the way that, you know, people live here in Compton is so crazy. Well, and it separated that craziness from any idea that gang activity is related to poverty mm-hmm. or violence or any systemic of that. Yeah. poverty systemic racialized poverty um i agree with you i think this was one of the episodes that really did kind of sell its subject matter short and i think part of it is just that you know because we get all the episodes with will and with the Bankses, then we get the like that side of it, the more like innocent side of it, in more detail, you know, and definitely more nuance in how it's handled. Mm. Um, but with this, like the one interaction with actual like South Central gang life, it's I agree. I agree with you totally. It's a lot more cartoonish in this episode. I liked this episode. It's not my favorite, but I thought that I appreciated what they were trying to say with there are different types of blackness and Carlton doesn't have to put on this hood costume to be, you know, considered black. Yeah, I think that's done much better in future episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting watching this episode and just this show in general because hip hop culture is so everywhere now and it was obviously very popular at the moment that this show was on but it was also still kind of a niche thing or a new thing and now it's like every mainstream pop hit has a rap verse in it so it's funny to like look back at something where like just someone rapping at the dinner table or something was considered like kind of crazy and like the fashion in this show will's look is supposed to be kind of extreme and ridiculous and now it's Like, that's how a lot of people dress now. (laughs) So it's just, it's interesting to see how much, like, the culture that here is depicted as something that's kind of unusual is basically kind of mainstream culture now in a lot of ways. Another special episode was Just Say Yo from season three. It's episode 19. In this episode, Will is tired from school and his job, and he accepts speed pills from a friend. Uh, Carlton accidentally takes the pills at the prom and winds up in the hospital. Will confesses and apologizes and breaks down at the end of the episode that he's horrified that he almost killed someone he really cares about. This is one of these episodes where at the beginning of it, I didn't anticipate where it was going. And the fact that it got really dark and serious was uh, really surprising for me. I was pleasantly surprised by that aspect of it. I think ultimately it was still a very typically preachy anti-drug PSA kind of episode um, in a way that was less specific to the characters than it was just kind of, you know, preachy and anti-drug. Yeah, I think having both Will, like, not take those drugs and then Carlton accidentally take drugs. I know it's a network sitcom, but having someone have actually made the choice to take drugs would be, mm-hmm. a, it, like, that theme would resonate a lot more. It seems like a definite studio note that yeah. we can't have our main characters make the choice to take drugs. And all I really wanted was Carlton dancing with Jesse Spano. <laughs> 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 to, I'm so excited. I'm so scared. <laughs> 
I thought that this episode had really great acting from Will Smith at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. And no, I, really, I wrote that as a note, too. I really appreciated how it ended. It just ended on an uncomfortable note. Like a lot of these episodes that we're talking about, the typical episodes of the show don't. They're very sitcom-y, but there are these standout episodes that are just like, whoa, like that that's not what sitcoms do. It really makes you think. It leaves you, as the audience member, being like, whoa, I have to kind of think about that and, and mull that over in my head. And I'm, I'm not left with the show telling me how to feel. Yeah, it doesn't feel like... Almost any sitcom feels like, oh, that's resolved. I don't have to think about that as soon as Mm -hmm. it cuts to black. And this one in these episodes is like leaves you thinking about it for several seconds or minutes afterwards. Like you really have to grapple with what it said. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the aspect in which it's the most different. Because in the sitcom convention, just in the terms of like screenwriting, in terms of sitcoms, you you have a scene button at the end of the scene, and that line is supposed to wrap everything up. It's supposed to be funny, but it's supposed to like be the final period at the end of that sentence. And in this show, the way that they use some of these scene buttons, especially at the end of episodes is actually to like really hammer home um, the dramatic stakes of the thing that they're talking about in a way that really makes the episode linger. Yeah, instead of a period, it's more of an ellipsis. The next episode we took a look at is Blood is Thicker Than Mud, season four, episode eight, where Will and Carlton rush a frat. Carlton gets all the worst, worst tasks to do. <laughs> He's not let in. And Will defends him and decides not to join the frat. I love this episode because it has the Carlton dance in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, many episodes do, <laughs> but yes. Um, I hate New Aunt Viv. This is the first episode we took a look mm. at with New Aunt Viv, and I just hate her so much. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. Nice, nice lady <laughs> that plays her, but... Nice lady who's real bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. So when Carlton isn't let in the frat, and the frat brother tells him, like, we let Will in, but we didn't let you in because look at you, and you're not like us, and it's a black frat. And uh. and that person is played by Glenn Plummer, Oh, that's is a larger point to make. The guy yes. who played James Smith, the sexy choreographer in the film Showgirls. Oh. <laughs> Everybody got AIDS and shit. He I also thought he looked familiar. was in Speed as wow. uh, the Jaguar driver. And I feel like he's maybe an unsung MVP of the 90s that we need <laughs> to talk saying. more about. <laughs> yeah, I think he's great in this anyway, episode. Yeah. Um, I love Carlton's response to him that he defends himself. And he says, being black isn't what I'm trying to be. It's what I am. And I thought that was a really strong moment for Carlton to come to his own defense. You think I'm a sellout. Why? Because I live in a big house where I dress a certain way? Or maybe it's because I like Barry Manilow. You've been Barry White, y'all. <laughs> Being black isn't what I'm trying to be. It's what I am. I'm running the same race and jumping the same hurdles you are. So why are you tripping me up? You said we need to stick together, but you don't even know what that means. If you ask me, you're the real sellout. I think it was so much more effective than the previous episode we were talking about with uh, Carlton and Compton. It's 72 hours. Um, I, I feel like in this one, he was really able to be specific to the experience of that kind of character in that position um, and also uh, much more specific to his own experience like in the worlds that he actually lives in. Yeah, I think that this episode probably more than any other one that I saw you could show as like the thesis 
statement for this show just because it so clearly talks about that theme that was so core to the show that you don't have to be a certain way to be black and just because you're rich or whatever like it it shouldn't matter and this really felt like an antidote to 72 hours which did a very very similar thing of carlton trying to be blacker basically but in a much like cornier sitcom way and this one this one he's not trying to no be exactly a but it, it and it because he's staying true to his character in that one right. like i never believed that he would actually behave that way mm-hmm. in this one i believe like this is his character is that he's someone who's himself he's very much himself and he loves what he loves and occasionally that does not mix well with the people around him but he's gonna be true to himself yeah he makes no apologies for eschewing types of masculinity that people in black culture think that they have to do to in order to be a man or or in order yeah. to be black or in order to be like accepted by other people and yeah I, and it's like it, it is it's important to point out i think that it's both about like gender and race you know in that sense where it's like what is masculinity but also what is black masculinity and how is that like imposed on you in different ways mm-hmm. yeah i i mean so the show does go to a lot of jokes that point out carlton's lack of masculinity mostly from will And they are mostly, like, good-natured, but I think that there's still a little bit of 90s-ness in there, of that attitude where the the show needs kind of, like, the more heteronormative guy to point out that this guy is kind of a sissy or whatever you want to call him to make sure that, like, the audience is okay with this, basically. And you know something else? I'm tired of all those short jokes. I'm average height. For a woman. <laughs> yeah, well, and and related to that, I even got a bit of a, va- a gay vibe from Carlton, at least in, like, more the first season episodes. Like, mm-hmm. later on, it was much less pronounced, but... They do occasionally have him, like, checking out hot girls, and the joke is that he's way, you know, below their league, but he does check out women, Yeah, but not earlier on. And also, it's like Will Smith's character specifically in their relationship is a lot more probing of that. As far as, like, kind of... He he does make some inferences that Carlton may be gay. Yeah, absolutely. um, Especially in those first season episodes. But again, it's a a thing that's not really picked up on or harped on as a story thread throughout the show. Him picking on Carlton in that way doesn't bother me so much because the way that Will Smith looks and acts isn't even that super masculine. It's not like he's this, like, alpha, like, big-muscled, you know, he's very confident, but he's also, like, a jokester. That's true. And he gets vulnerable a lot in the show, and he is often the butt of jokes as well, and it's kind of like he's also an underdog in a way, so him you know, making fun of another underdog doesn't bother me so much because it's not like he has all this power. That's true. I I was actually surprised to see Will Smith. I consider him now to be such a careful star. He does not take a lot of risks in his personal life, at least as we see it as the public. And in his movie roles, they're always pretty safe. And I was actually surprised to see him kind of going for broke in a lot of this show and just kind of like hamming it up and not caring if he looks ridiculous. There's a 
I think it's season one where he's like voguing and it's not even <laughs> yeah. like ironic voguing. He's like full on going into like and like that's something that you'd kinda you kinda look at and you're like, Oh, that's a little bit gay. Like most like straight guys wouldn't be voguing. Maybe they would in the early nineties, I don't know. <laughs> Just the fact that he was willing to constantly go for it. You know, he's not playing it safe in the show. No, there's one moment that I love in the episode where he graduates high school where for whatever reason, he ends up at his graduation dressed as, like, a daisy. <laughs> and the image of Will Smith dressed in, like, a green leotard with a little tutu and a giant, like, sunflower uh, headpiece singing You Are My Sunshine. And then he puts on glasses and he sings, like, a rap version of it or, like, a like a more, like, badass version of it. It just cracks me up and he looks ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, he really lets himself look ridiculous all the time. It's mm-hmm. it's great. Like, I think it's part of really what makes the show work. I did also watch an episode from season five um, where I wanted to watch this episode specifically because Will gets cast on a s- soap opera, which is kind of strange enough mm-hmm. <laughs> as a subplot. He does not realize that the character he's playing is supposed to be gay and then basically sabotages the show while it's being recorded because he would rather do that, I guess, than play a gay character. And so it's not, like, a great depiction of this attitude, but it also, it avoided a lot of what I thought it might do because there is some of that underlying humor in the way that he treats Carlton. So it was kind of a mixed bag, but at least it wasn't the worst. (laughs) I've seen worse. It could have been worse. (laughs) Ace Ventura, worse. It was no ace. The next episode we took a look at is called Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse from season four, episode 24. This is the episode where Will's dad comes back into his life, but not for very long. What Spoiler. You- <laughs> uh, man, I'm not going to lie. This episode made me cry. His yeah. his acting at the end. Like, I'm kind of tearing up right now thinking about it Will, was, Will Smith's performance. It was performance. really, really powerful. I'm sorry. I, you know, if there was... Something that I Hey, you know do. what? You ain't got to do no, nothing, Uncle Phil. Hey, you know, ain't like I'm still five years old, you know? Ain't like I'm going to be sitting up every night asking my mom, when's daddy coming home, you know? Who needs him? Hey, he wasn't there to teach me how to shoot my first basket, but I learned, didn't I? Hey, I got pretty damn good at it, too, didn't I, yeah, Uncle Phil? Got through my first date without him, right? Mm-hmm. I learned how to drive. I learned how to shave. I learned how to fight without him. I had 14 great birthdays without him. He never even sent me a damn card. Die out with him! I ain't need him then, and I don't need him now. Will. Will. Now, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey, and I'm going to have me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that, because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man? And I read that a lot of that was improv as well, that that scene ended differently and Will just kind of got overtaken emotionally and Do you mean he, went for it. You mean he improvised the dialogue? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they only did ever one take of it because they wow. knew that they wouldn't be able to get that again. And you can hear like one person clap twice at the end of the episode. And then they're like, oh, I guess we're you not. You can hear someone crying off camera. Yeah. I think it's Hillary, um, the actress who plays Hillary. Like you can hear someone crying. It's it, insane. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's the best acting Will Smith has ever done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I'm not trying to be like funny and like disparages other roles because I think he is an actually great actor. Um, I think it's an, it's amazing. And I love Uncle Phil. And I think one of the biggest, 
things that was different this time around watching it from when I was a kid was when I was a kid, I thought Uncle Phil was overbearing and was like a mean guy and, Mm -hmm. you know, was, you know, ruining Will's fun and, you know, kind of was always like (laughs) that, that, that loving but mean presence. And now watching it, I think he is a fantastic father and he is so accepting and he is the butt of a lot of jokes and takes it in stride and he's, you know, very um, strict when it comes to protecting his children and and Will, who he is his adoptive child, basically. And I just, I am so fond of James Avery's performance as Uncle Phil. Well, and I mean, it's it's not just that he's a committed father, but like he is trying so hard and he's struggling with trying to balance, you know, being the fact that he's the stepfather with the fact that he's really the only father Will has known. And he struggles with that. And he struggles with jealousy that the moment that Will's biological father shows up, Will is so taken by the idea. Will is planning to move away almost immediately when this guy shows up in his life. Mm -hmm. And of course, Phil knows that Will's biological father is going to disappear you know, the moment it looks like they may be happy together um, or, you know, like it it happens mid-episode, basically. But, like, Phil has to learn that he has to let Will learn that lesson for himself. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, a really complicated and, again, nuanced kind of way to tell that kind of story. Um, And it's a story about, like, adopted fatherhood, which is not really common in any shows. Yeah, I think that this kind of subplot is something that we've seen in a lot of sitcoms. Like, anytime a biological parent suddenly shows up, you know that they're going to raise their kids' expectations and then Mm -hmm. quickly disappear. And I was surprised that this episode managed to do that so well, even though I've seen it many times before. And yeah, you can really see Will Smith's acting evolve over the show. It's really interesting to see where he went from the pilot to watch this. I can't really think of another sitcom that even has an emotional moment like that in it. It's just kind of like punches out of the screen and you're just like, whoa. It's heartbreaking. And what I love about the show is that it gives its actors those moments that it doesn't cut away. It doesn't try to rush them. There's moments I think we're going to get in the next episode. um, Bullets over Bel Air. It's where Will gets shot at an ATM and takes the bullet for Carlton. And Carlton is so traumatized by it that he gets a gun. And him and Will have this confrontation about the gun in the hospital room. And it felt like a play. There's moments where Will is trying to convince Carlton to give him the gun. And the camera just stays on Will. And it's just him pleading with Carlton, give me the gun and allowing Will Smith the time, like the precious time in a 22 minute sitcom to just digest this and just have a moment to be scared or to think. And that is so unlike a sitcom. The fact that I was in suspense in that scene where I- when, particularly when Carlton gave him the gun, I was like, what is he going to do with it? Is he going to like kill himself? And I was like, I had this moment where I forgot that this was a sitcom. I was like, anything could happen, which is obviously rare on a on a sitcom. You you are expected certain range of things to happen, and characters passing guns to each other and it's well, not to say nothing of your main character getting shot, mm-hmm. like yeah. that in and of itself was such a surprising story turn, um, especially at this point in the show. Like I, I, again, I thought it was just a really 
interesting episode and not preachy in any of the ways that you would expect it to be. And I have to say that the show does a really good job of continuing to be funny and keep the characters in character, even in these dramatic episodes. It really manages to have it both ways, where Carlton in particular can be a joke in so many scenes and yet still taken so seriously in these dramatic moments. And you, the jokes are super funny and the dramatic stuff works really well. And it, I think it's incredible that both of those things can happen in the same 20 minutes of a sitcom that isn't known for being like the most amazing writing ever in in general when we think back on the best sitcoms. I really appreciate the complexity in Will's Smith's performance in this and the fact that he's and the and I guess the way he was written um that he's making all these jokes and then at the end his girlfriend is saying you can be scared like stop making jokes like be real with me and it he like kind of you know, I really liked that. Like yeah. in contrast to Nikki, the obligatory sitcom <laughs> additional Child. sibling. Right, yeah. Yeah, I felt like his girlfriend uh was a lot more fully flushed and really made him confront aspects of himself that uh again, most other sitcoms don't call attention to the fact that their lead funny jester type of guy can use humor as a defense mechanism. Yeah, I think it really was a bridge from the pilot to kind of where the show goes in the finale, showing this evolution of Will where he remains a jokester, but slowly throughout the show, he is becoming a man. So let's talk about the finale. It was um, two episodes in season six. Everyone is moving on. Uh, Jeffrey's moving back to England. Uh, Ashley and Hillary are moving to New York. Carlton's going to Princeton. Uh, the mom and dad decide to move to New York to be closer to all their children. And Will has to stay in California to finish school. And he doesn't have his life together. And he doesn't even have an apartment. And most of the episodes are him kind of lying, saying, no, I got a great apartment. And he doesn't have anything. And in the end, he confesses to Uncle Phil that he doesn't have a place to live. And he accepts Uncle Phil's help. Um, and there's just an amazing moment at the end of the show and at the end of the series where Uncle Phil says, you are my son, and he promises to call him every Sunday. I thought it was really interesting, and I don't know if this is a wasted opportunity or something really unique that they didn't give Will something like he finally found a career he's great at or oh, a relationship. Or... I have a lot to say about <laughs> I do not think that that is a wasted opportunity at all. I think that was a fucking brilliant choice to let us have a hero of a sitcom and everyone moves on but him. But the journey of the show is that he has always had his heart in the right place, but he is constantly making bad decisions throughout the show. Like almost every episode is he makes some bad decision and the family has consequences or he has consequences. And the last episode is us not knowing what he's going to do, but we and Uncle Phil and I guess the rest of the family trust him enough to make the right decision. Like we believe that he's going to be okay. And that I think is the journey of the show is from becoming someone who originally like was never a bad guy, but if he had stayed in that environment, I think we're supposed to believe that enough bad impressions would have kind of led him on some other path. And by by being with the Banks family and having enough of that good impression, he was able to become a different person. And I think... And he was well, able to embody the best aspects of himself. Yeah, fully. actually. Yeah, it's not that their money allowed him something that he never would have had 
otherwise. It was right. it was the love that they gave him and the support that they gave him and the relationship really that he had himself. with them. It's not a tale about how money saved him, like from the ghetto or something like that. It's like he has to do as much of the work. It, it's all this emotional work that he does, that Uncle Phil does, this that, that you do in a family that makes him a better person. I just thought the finale was very unlike most finales, where absolutely everyone's future is put in a perfect little package and wrapped in a bow. I agree, like, with Chris, that really the story of the show ends up being a, a guy who has a chance to become himself and become a man in the way that he is a man, like, not in any kind of vision of masculinity that anyone in his life has tried to impose on him, becoming the person that he could become when he's given love and a place to become himself. I also appreciated the fact that the last two episodes, the finale episodes, were funny. Like sometimes, yeah, they're still pretty funny. So many times finales try to cram so much in or... Seinfeld! <laughs> yeah. Uh, For instance. They try to do so much that it becomes a special episode that you only watch because it's the finale, but I thought this was two solid episodes of this show. And I think that's to be congratulated. Just the fact that the last two episodes are just good episodes of the show. Yeah, it always is a little concerning for me in, particularly I think in sitcoms when they've taken such great pains to keep everyone in the same location for six years. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to New York. Oh, really? I'm going to Princeton. And I think that if they had had Will have some kind of magical, like, oh, I got a career or whatever. I'm going to be a rapper and a movie star. Yeah, it would have been like, I'm going to be a triple threat. (laughs) But the fact that they did leave it open-ended just let it feel realistic. So after uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air wrapped up, uh, Will Smith became a movie star. (laughs) Really? You don't say. What was he in? (laughs) So during the years of The Fresh Prince, Will Smith had starred in a few movies. Um, Six Degrees of Separation was like a dramatic turn for him that got a lot of people's attention thinking, oh, he's not just, you know, a comedic actor, even though if they had watched any of these episodes, it wouldn't be such a surprise. Um, he starred in Bad Boys with Martin Lawrence, which was a, a big action movie that I've Michael never seen. Bay joint. Never seen it, actually. I haven't either. I love both of the Bad Boys oh, films. Okay. Wow, that is kind of Are they worth watching? They're... Tremendous. Okay, great. Um, and so the first movie of his that got released after the end of Fresh Prince was Independence Day. <laughs> and we all know how that turned out. Nope, not familiar. <laughs> it was, I don't know, one of the biggest hits of all time. It was time. the second <laughs> biggest hit of all time at, the, at that time. Yeah, it was enormous. Will Smith was basically an instant movie star the, from the moment that was released. And he does have the distinction of... Uh, he, he's been a lead actor in eight consecutive movies to garner more than $100 million at the box office. And that was from 2001 uh, Ali, and it was Men in Black 2, iRobot, Shark Tale, Hitch, The Pursuit of Happiness, I Am Legend, and Hancock. They were all in a row, and they all received more than $100 million. I'm surprised that streak didn't start earlier. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I Was the, the was there a really bad one in there somewhere? The, he had a lot of hits, but not consecutively. So he was in Men in Black... Um, he, he, start, I think the legend of Be- bagger Vance yeah. didn't oh, get a hundred mil. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, there was a few, that was probably the one that I don't want to say they were duds, but they weren't a hundred million. But then like he was on a streak where, do you remember when like Will Smith like couldn't be beat? Like, like any movie that he starred in for this, like, what was it? Like eight years. 
nine years uh, was a hit. Like, no wonder he was, like, one of the most bankable stars on the planet. But I also want to put another perspective on that because I was looking at what he's done more recently. And we still consider him (laughs) one of the biggest stars out there. But his last movies are Collateral Beauty, Suicide Squad, Concussion, Focus, Winter's Tale, After Earth, and then Men in Black 3. So that is a bad streak. You say that like those movies didn't make money, though. But Suicide Squad, as abhorrent as it is, <laughs> it made a fuck ton of money. And what else is on this list? Concussion got him uh, a Golden Globe Best Actor yeah, nomination. And it's not a bad movie, but none of these are great movies. Suicide Squad is a hit, but it's not Independence Day. It's not something that people are going to look back on and remember. So I'm surprised that he has as much staying power as he does, considering that none of these movies in the last 10 years have been things. <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting to note that I think after Hancock was seven pounds and that movie did not do well critically or at the box office. And I think it was interesting when he signed up for Suicide Squad because that was not a a, it was an ensemble Mm -hmm. and he's usually the lead actor. And I felt like that was telling like, oh, I've got to get myself a comic book movie where I'm the ensemble. I can't even he was like the lead of the ensemble, but it was still not a Will Smith movie. Yeah, I don't know if you want to do it to do a comic book movie. I mean, I'm sure that if he was like, hey, make me a comic book character, they would have done that. They like, did it with Hancock. <laughs> right. They could do it again. But yeah, I think that's telling that he, in his representation, who gets him these parts, like knows that he's not as bankable as he used to be. Um, just because it was so high. I think we also have to talk about his solo albums. He had four after the release of The Fresh Prince. Um, and there, there were a lot of hits. His first single as a solo artist was the theme to Men in Black in 1997 off his album Big Willie Style, which also had the singles Just Cruisin', Getting Jiggy With It, Miami, and Just the Two of Us. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like the song Miami still. I like the song God Miami too. It. It's the only one, I think, but yeah. <laughs> For songs about places, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What other songs about places? California Girls, New York, New York, like New York State of Mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All, all the best London songs. London Calling. There's a lot of songs oh, about places. Jesus. You relate this to London Calling. In the genre you. of songs about geography. There's a song about Bel Air that I know. <laughs> to rap. Right. I, I think similar to his older work, it's based more on the catchiness of the hooks than it is on the quality of the songwriting. Oh, yes. But it's still very, you know, catchy. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I want to take a moment to just like <laughs> sit right there and tell you about how he became the Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> In so many ways, I think he's looked at as kind of a raceless star. Like he's not someone that we often like. Most of the roles that he plays are not characters that it really matters. They if could they're be black, black or, or white. white. Yeah, and that was one reason why I found the show so interesting that it did take on those topics so much because I kind of assumed that it would be more like the, his film roles more recently where. It's just a non-issue. And I I really didn't think that that was going to be a feature of the show. So it was shocking. But I don't know. Do you guys like Will Smith still? Like, is he still a star that you guys are interested in? I don't think I ever saw a movie because of Will Smith. But if I saw him in a movie, I liked him. It's like I didn't go see iRobot because it was a Will Smith movie. But when I saw it, I thought he was like a likable presence and charming and, you know, all of those things. I think that he shines the best in movies where his sense of humor can be used. So he's not the best in iRobot. See, and I think he's... uh, My favorite performance of his is in Ali because he does channel his humor, but through the humor of Muhammad Ali. Like, I felt like that was 
also by far his best traumatic turn. Like I, I really loved his performance in that movie. It really made it. Like Becky, I wouldn't seek out a movie just because he was the star. But there have been several movies where I've really enjoyed his contributions. But I, agreeing with you, Chris, I don't think he's actually really got, been remotely as brave, yeah. in a sense, in the roles that he's picked, especially in the last dozen or so years. I'll tell you that he turned down the role of Neo in The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. To star, in, to star in Wild Wild West. Oops. Bad choice. Bad <laughs> um, choice. And he also turned turn down the role of Django and Django Unchained. And, and that would have been so much more interesting just because of the oh, politics yes. of that, because he's such a mainstream star. Yeah. star that stars and things where race is not an issue. And, and Well, he was going to be in that movie for a while, too. Like, he, I mean, I think there was a lot of dialogue about it, and he wanted to do it, and then ultimately I think he backed out because he was uncomfortable doing that. But I would like to see him. I would have. I mean, that is a very extreme. I can understand not wanting to take that role because that there's a lot of controversy. I can understand that movie. not wanting to take it, but again, that would have been a much braver. Mm-hmm. It'd be decision. nice to see him take some kind of risk and it doesn't even have to do anything yeah. with race. The dramas that he does are typically not received terribly well. Collateral there's, beauty. They're received as terrible. Yes. I was going to say that he was nominated for an Oscar twice, once for Ali and once for the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen that movie in a very long time, but it feels like that movie is more about class than race oh, yeah yeah more about him just being homeless and poor but not really a comment on his race but i could be remembering that i would like to point out that in 2013 beaver county schools were shut down when a receptionist called a high school student voicemail which was a rendition of the theme song the line shooting b-ball outside of the school was misinterpreted as shooting people outside oh, of the school God. And they shut down the district. Oh, my God. So. The whole district? And it's closed down to this day. (laughs) They're not taking any chances. They've stopped educating children. Yeah. I watched what I will consider too many episodes of The Fresh Prince (laughs) in the last couple of weeks. (laughs) Too much in a short amount of time. Yes. Yes. I binge watched (laughs) the first two seasons. And I will say that the show... Has a lot of bad episodes. We watched some pretty good ones for the most part on this. There are some dismal moments. So I feel like I have a rather holistic view of the show. (laughs) But um, my roommate was wondering what the fuck (laughs) was wrong with me. I had to explain to him that I have a very good reason why he kept hearing that theme song coming out of my room 24 hours a day. I was like, I am doing a podcast. If this persists after this date, you can shoot me. <laughs> Please do. Yes. So uh, it did. ends now. I was really happy about the theme song for like the first five episodes. And then after that, I had to fast forward. <laughs> like I, I was like, okay. I skipped past it after like the second one. Oh, I listened every time. I got like really into certain moments and just like <laughs> gestures. Like when he goes into the house and oh my he does God, wait, the... Does he do like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, the head... I've never been able to do the head and tilt And then the thing. head thing at the very end is like, it's right when it's fading out. And I'm always like... <laughs> I'm yeah. always like trying to do the head thing. We're doing yeah. it right now. We're yeah. Tra- it's, this is great Woo. audio for you guys. <laughs> great podcast material. Uh, Becky and Chris swiveling their heads in a rhythmic fashion. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to and I forgot. <laughs> no, I want to... I kind of want to enter every single room like that now. <laughs> But I won't. 
So that was the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I would recommend watching it. Maybe you're not gonna like get it on DVD, but if it's in syndication, it's on. You should totally watch it. I think you should target which episodes that you watch. <laughs> like watch Mistaken Identity. Watch Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse. I guess a couple of the oh, the bullets um, over Bel Air. Mud is thicker than blood. I would definitely watch some of those episodes just because they're so interesting. The rest at your own <laughs> risk. Uh, but. Yeah, I I wanted to point out just one more thing that I found interesting about this show in that usually these kind of fish out of water stories are very cut and dry. It's like, here's the fish and here's the water. And in this one, I feel like both Will and the Banks family are fish out of water. And the audience identifies with Will because the Banks family is so ridiculous in being so rich. And yet when the jokes are sort of more at Will's expense, we identify with the Banks's because their worldview and their experience is a little bit more like probably most of the audience who's watching this show than someone who's growing up in a tougher neighborhood in Philadelphia. So I thought it was really interesting how the show was able to have it both ways in that like none of the characters were like oh this is like we relate to these people or we relate to this person and this other person is crazy it had different levels on which it kind of made fun of class and made fun of certain race elements or it explored them and again it it works because it centers those different conversations on the specific characters Mm -hmm. and how they see the world and interact with it and with each other yeah But yeah, no, it's really fun. And and again, I I think especially the episodes that we talked about that we all kind of were mutually impressed by um, really do set Fresh Prince of Bel-Air apart from a lot of 90s sitcoms and also from a lot of sitcoms now. They just really do make storytelling choices that are brave for a sitcom, but also are especially well pulled off by this one. I think there are a few shows maybe to just point out that are kind of doing something similar now, just to give some credit, like Blackish, um, Master of None, mm-hmm. and the Drod Carmichael show. Like all of those actually deal with um racial racial issues and take them on in a way that I think is similar to this and probably Fresh off the boat too. Yes, yeah. For sure. Definitely true. Yeah. Um and so I think I think the show has successors, more successors maybe than some of the shows that didn't take the kinds of risks that this one did. So that was The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In our next episode, we are going to be traveling far into the future, all the way to the year 2019, to try and figure out whether Harrison Ford is a robot in Blade Runner. Wee! (laughs) (laughs) Run, Blade, run. That's all the blades and the princes we have time for on this episode of the When We Were Young podcast. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed our time together, you can subscribe to us on the iTunes, and you can review us on the iTunes store. Please leave us a review of five stars or more, and we'll read your review on the podcast. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You can tweet us at show, and you can email us on Gmail at www.yshow at gmail.com. You can contact us on any of those platforms if you want to suggest future episodes of the podcast. And if you want to help us defray the cost of recording and producing a show we bring to you entirely for free, you can contribute to us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash young. 
I have been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. I'm chilling out, Max, and relaxing all cool. Shooting some beatball outside of school when a couple of guys who grew up to no good started making trouble in the neighborhood. I got one little fight. My mom got scared. She said, You're moving to the auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plates are fresh and there were dice in the mirror. If I could say anything, but this cab was where I said, Yo, man, forget it. You're home to Bel Air. It wasn't lying, folks. I pulled up to a house about seven or eight and I yelled to the cabbie you're home smell you later looked at my kingdom I was finally there to, to sit on my throne, throne as, as the Prince of Belair on your mark ready set let's go dance for pro I know you know I go psycho when my new joint hit just can't sit gotta get jiggy with it that's it now honey honey come ride TKMY all up in my eyes you got a Prada bag with a lot of stuff in it give it to your friend let's spin everybody looking at me glancing a kid wishing they was dancing a jig here with this handsome kid sick a cigar right from Cuba Cuba I just bite it it's for the look I don't light it they'll wait to hand me on the hands they all play give it up jiggy make it feel like four play yo my cardio is infinite <laughs> Big Willie Styles all in it Getting jiggy with it